When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Did OPEC just make the Fed's job harder? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Mustafa Chowdhury, Chief Rate Strategist at MicroHive. Hi, Mustafa. How are you? Very well, Maggie. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, we're thrilled to have you, and welcome to the Daily Briefing. It's the first time you've been on with us. So before we jump in, why don't you yeah. just tell us a little bit about the area that you focus on? Yes, uh, good, good question to start with. I, uh, I focus on rates. Uh, I have a background uh, on, in rates, uh, either rates business and both rates business and rates research for the last 30 years at various roles. Um, at, uh, at Deutsche Bank, I was head of rates research at uh, Voya Investments, ING, where I, uh, former ING, where I was also head of rates. Uh, so rates is what I focus, which bas basically means the interest rates, yield curve, vol, swaps, swap options, uh, all of that. That's, well, it's uh, a good day to have you on because there's not been too much happening in that part of the universe. Well it, it, has been, it has been, we've been seeing moves and things happening to the yield curve that are really unprecedented as many of our guests have talked about. So it, we're lucky for us that we have you here today. So uh, if you, by the way, uh, obviously everyone knows the drill. We're going to take questions. So go ahead and put them in the chat and we'll get to as many as we can. But just keep in mind um, that Mustafa's area is rate. So hold off on any of those real specific questions about equities, I think, for this time. Let's 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 concentrate and lean into his expertise. So, um, you know, we did have the markets today really reacting, all markets reacting to that surprise OPEC plus production cut. Oil prices jumped 6%. Stocks were mixed. Energy shares up at the NASDAQ down. But I'm really curious about what this will mean for the Fed and for interest rates. I think it, it, not, it doesn't directly mean much for Fed's decision. Uh, the next uh, question of next uh, meeting in May whether it will be another 25 base point hike or not. Maybe a little bit of an input there, but directly, but indirectly, it means a lot, I think. Uh, if you look at the oil prices since the beginning of this year, it's fluctuated between $73 and $80 in a very tight range. And this banking crisis a few weeks ago suddenly threw this, pushed this oil price out of this range and all the way down to 66. And I think that uh, OPEC Plus pretty much responding to that. Probably it's a response to the uh, to the credit tightening that they anticipate. 
uh, because of the banking crisis that has started. And so they just cut, preempted the slowdown in the economy by cutting some of the supply so that they can get back to the rent. I don't know whether that's what they're thinking, but that's what it feels like. Uh, so Fed, if Fed's taking all this information, it should take it as a cue that uh, there is a potential for economy to slow down. Yeah, like maybe another forward indicator, which is really interesting right. because I think, you know, people are laying a lot of geopolitical tensions on it and and all super important. And we will, of course, be digging into all of that in coming days uh, with the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia, et cetera. But if if OPEC is, you know, their job is forecasting demand and they're looking out and saying, hang on a second, why do we have a situation where we still have you know, we're hearing about, so there's the demand side, but then there's the inflation side, right? And we we started right. with that question at the top because Bullard's coming out saying, oh, this makes our job harder. And what about that inflation? Are we going to have high inflation? Banks are calling for oil to go back to $100 again. Are Do you think officials and, and market participants are paying too much attention to the inflation side? Will that start to come down as demand, as we see the, see the economy slow? Well, and inflation, infla inflation is seem like not going down as uh, as fast as anybody anticipated. Uh, if you look at the um, just the core inflation, which excludes the energy prices and food prices, we're still lingering at way above four percent, and no one expects it to be closer to three percent by the uh, by 2025. Even Fed's governors, that UFMC members in their speeches, they are some of them are calling for three percent, some thinking three and a half, uh, three three and a quarter. So uh, inflation is expected to be high for a while, and that's, that's so mostly true. because the shelter cost uh, in the economy is still pretty high. Right, and we know that that lags. Um, so what is it? What is your position? What are you expecting from the Fed? I think that Fed's uh, Fed will uh, Fed most probably will do a twenty-five basis point uh, in the next meeting, and then they will try to communicate that they are sort of done. Uh, but it could, it's a market's pricing about fifty-fifty chance of a May hike, and so there is a and I am kind of comfortable with that view also that it's there is a good chance that it may not happen because it's not about inflation is a big problem but the banking uh, the issues that's going on in the banking sector is also um, a very large actually <laughs> looming very large uh, in my opinion uh, so and uh, there are lots of pieces moving pieces in infl in uh, inflation so it's all depends on the Fed's resolve about inflation fighting versus giving in to the banking uh, banking situation. Yeah, which is, I mean, this is this is the dilemma, isn't it? Um, it's so interestingly, we had last week. I spoke to Luke Roman, who is yes. very concerned that the banking stress we've seen is actually just a symptom of a much bigger problem. Let's have a listen to a clip from that, and then we'll talk on the other side. I would describe this as a U.S. balance of payments crisis disguised as a bank crisis. And so 
really what the issue is, is there is a shortage of aggregate global balance sheet capacity, private sector balance sheet capacity, relative to the deficits that the United States government is running. And so we have seen really the kickoff to this crisis that we've been sort of detailing in real time for almost a decade now, started in the third quarter of 2014, when for the first time in 50 plus years, foreign central banks stopped growing their holdings of U.S. Treasury bonds. They stopped sterilizing U.S. deficits as their FX reserves. And it was a pivotal, a pivotal epical moment in macro uh, that not a lot of people notice that specific, but we've all been spending the next decade uh, spending a lot of our lives trying to uh, diagnose, uh, position for, react to the symptoms and outcomes of this. And that full interview is available on our website. I encourage everyone to have a listen to it. If you are not a member, scan that QR code and find out how you can sign up. We've got free trials and such going on. So Mustafa, I just, I, I keep coming back to that every time I'm listening to people talk about, you know, us getting over it and putting Silicon Valley behind us. Are you concerned that there is a larger systemic risk here? Yes, uh, he's making a really a key point. Uh, on the one hand, the government balance sheet is really, uh, really large. Uh, just look at the uh, coupon that Federal Reserve have to pay uh, to the banking system and also for the reverse repo program. A uh, couple of hundred billion, maybe more, as uh, just just the interest on excess reserves, interest on the repo. Uh, so that payment uh, has so that's costly for the government. The government also the U.S. government, the Treasury has to add, add the, the interest expense is approaching trillion dollars a year. So governments uh, is leading up to a point where uh, it's more and more difficult to handle uh, handle uh, the, uh, the 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 debt, the higher interest rate, uh, and if Fed keeps raising interest rate, that makes it more costly to uh, to uh, sustain this massive government balance sheet. But it definitely reflects on the uh, on the on the banking system as well. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, so so we started with the, the giant issue, but I think it's really important because I hear every day, and this concerns me, I hear right. pundits on television saying it's over, it's taken care of. And, and that just makes me really nervous that it's giving people a false sense of calm when there are some problems. So we started with the big issue of the balance of payments. And as Luke says, it's a, a U.S. Treasury market problem. But when we look at the banks, because I know you've been looking at this carefully, what's happening with the banking system itself? So first of all, everybody's like, okay, they put that that lending program in, the BTFP, um, that bank lending emergency program, and that 
that's going to be what's needed. Is that, can that work for everyone? I mean, does the banking system ha still have shoes to drop here? Yes, uh, it's definitely uh, not over yet. It's, I think it's just the beginning. Uh, what we saw in the two banks that uh, just, uh, uh, just uh, recently collapsed in, uh, they had some unique issues uh, themselves. However, they also have problems that are problems for the banking system as well. That's not gone away. So what Fed has done with these two banks is that they dealt with the immediate liquidity issue in the system, uh, any kind of systemic risk, uh, by uh, creating this new facility where uh, they could uh, banks can come and borrow at the um, uh, borrow using underwater uh, collateral and get $100 back. So it gives them peace of mind. I, and then uh, guaranteed the, uh, the uninsured deposits for these two specific banks, but hasn't expanded for the rest of the banking system. In fact, the Treasury Secretary, one day she said it is available for everyone, then she retracted because they figured out that it's not a simple task and they, they didn't really guarantee. Uh, and I don't think there is clear, a clear uh, guarantee that all banks would be uh, uh, would be uh, the uh, uninsured deposits would be uh, 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 guaranteed in case of larger number, larger banks and larger institutions collapse. And I think that, but that is not the main problem. The main problem is the the balance sheets of the banks. The mark to market value has declined a lot, and when the uh, market analysts and the, the whole world talks about the U.S. banks mark to market problem. They talk about the mark to market uh, issues of the securities in their balance sheet, the health to maturity securities and the uh, available for sale uh, securities. But they have banks have 12 trillion plus of whole loans. They have uh, direct whole loan mortgages. They have credit cards. They have car loans, they have commercial mortgage max securities, and not only do they have credit risk, which is seems like less than it used to be, but they have pieces there that, that has credit risk, especially in the uh, office uh, uh, commercial, mortgage, uh, commercial real estate. But that aside, there is a massive amount of interest rate risk also in the loan portfolio that no one's yet talking about. But okay, that's let me stop you there because I think that's very important and, and you're looking at this in a way that most of us aren't. So first of all, let me just back up for a second so we all understand you. When you say people are con focusing on the mark to market for their longer duration, they're talking about what had happened with Silicon Valley Bank, right? Just that the that that if they need to sell money because they're having a deposit run, sorry, if they need to sell those treasuries, if they held them to maturity, they'd be fine. But having to sell them now because of what we've seen happen with treasuries, they're taking a loss. That's the part that everyone's focused on. What is this other interest rate risk that you see that's not getting enough attention? So the, the similar to the securities, there is an equivalent or much bigger actually uh, the loan portfolio where these are not securities, these are just direct loans to various uh, various industries, uh, 
a big part of that is just mortgage loans, but not mortgage-backed securities. So that they, and then of course the real estate, commercial real estate loans, they have credit cards, they have auto loans. These are, these, we don't talk much about the duration of these loans. So is it because but, people will default? Well, not because it will default, but eventually the, as the funding cost creeps higher and higher because deposits are slowly bleeding out of the banking system, maybe it will speed up. It will and it will probably speed up a lot if Fed hikes even more because the alternative to the depositors will be higher and higher. They will have, uh, the, you can eat into the securities losses uh, and then the loan, uh, you, you may have to, the, the mark to market value uh, of the, uh, the loans will come into the picture. I'll give you one example how the, that will come into the picture. Fed, try, Fed does a stress test for the American, the larger, a decent a set of larger American banks, including some mid-sized banks. And this stress test is basically give, give the banks a very difficult scenario and then puts the bank's balance sheets and income statement through those difficult scenarios. And then this, uh, and the test tells whether the banks, how long the bank survives and every, and the Fed gives a pass or fail uh, every year. So, Going into the hiking scenario, Fed never gave Fed never gave a uprate scenario to the banking system in the U.S. So uh, all the te stress test scenarios that were given to the banking system were credit scenarios, and uh, also a, a, a declines in rates, widening of credit spreads, etc. But not a scenario where what we actually observed in the last one year, which is the front end interest rates goes up from zero to 5% and the long end goes up to 4% or even higher. So that scenario, which is a reality today, banks were not tested. So uh, Fed's now talking about handing out a that particular scenario middle of this year to the, to right now to the GC banks, the large, uh, Systematically important, uh, systematically important banks, but that could, I think, that highly likely that, that they will end up expanding to the others. So the moment banks put their balance sheet through those tests, they will have to put their loans as well through those tests, not just the securities. So suddenly, uh, it's they may not find themselves as capitalized as they thought they were just passing, they, won't, they may, some of them may not pass uh, the operate stress test. So these are ways that the mark-to-market decline, the market, the value, the implied value decline due to higher interest rates, not just of the securities, but also the loans will matter a lot for the banks. So every decision that the management makes there is the actual the the accounting capital according to the, the the accounting definition and then the capital according to the stress test that was already given to them uh, 
will so the, but then there is an implied true capital which depends on what the real true value of the balance sheet is and the just saying that oh i'll eventually i'll get my power value back 10 years later doesn't help you no. in in various decision making process so decision across the banking system will slow down uh, because everyone's going to be busy working on that on so the what are the implications of that the first one is that we will see a way more credit contraction from the banking system than uh, anyone is expecting because they would be busy fixing their balance sheet. Uh, so that's one. Uh, I think also that they uh, not only that they, they will be busy fixing their balance sheet and uh, the, they would probably they would probably be gradually reducing some of the balance sheet by by not a desperate selling or not a uh, not the Silicon Valley type situation, but there would still be gradual selling by the uh, banking institution reduction in the balance sheet because no matter what, on a, if you are mark to market working on a minuscule capital or a small amount of capital, and I'm not talking about a big big four guys, I'm talking about the rest of the banking universe, then. Uh, then your, your true leverage is higher. Every decision you make as, a, as the senior management has a much bigger implication, despite what you think your accounting capital is. So we will see more selling of duration that uh, by the banking system over time, and that's going to keep pushing the yields higher in the long end of the curve. So that's one that we will see. Mm. Uh, the, uh, so eventually we might see a, uh, this whole inversion of the curve suddenly uh, reverse itself. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So that's, that's so that's interesting. That. So that is, so let's just put that off to the side for a minute because that's going to be upward pressure okay. on rates at a time when presumably if they're contracting credit that the economy's slowing down. Right? Right. So Correct. that's not great for the economy if rates are going up. Usually you would see the Fed trying to cut rates in order to, but they'd be cutting on the short, uh, cutting on the shorter end, I guess. So how, what does the yield curve look like in that kind of situation? I think that we will see, uh, so long, this is the long end about the, the risk premium, about, about the uh, financial institutions having difficulty hanging on to a lot of um, bonds on their balance sheet, all of this would have upward pressure in yield in the belly of the curve, in the longer end of the curve. Front end, the two-year, one-year, the euro dollar, that's just the three-month, six-month, one-year, would have a other many other different dynamics, which we kind of saw in the last, the, this front-end drama in the last few weeks. Uh, we got the, uh, we got major increase in the uh, the the euro dollar or the uh, three month rate and six month rates uh, after the payroll date january payroll data 
And then suddenly the Silicon Valley news came and we have a more than 100 basis point decline in the two-year rate on overnight on a dime. Just shows the front end is, a very, is, is going to be very volatile because there are lots of different kinds of positions on the front end that will be driven by Fed expectations and errors in Fed expectations. But the long, long end could just be drifting higher as the um, as the uh, banking system, not just the banking system across the uh, universe of uh, holder, various types of holders of treasuries and mortgages selling it, mm. keeping five years, 10 years under pressure. So William asking where on the curve to buy long, intermediate or short and when for each? In general, so let's put it a different way. William, I don't know that we, as we always say, we don't know what your risk profile is and we're not sure, you know, what anyone's, we, we can't individually address people's concerns, but what would you, what would your expectation be? You talked about volatility on the short end. There are some people who are saying, listen, the Fed's backed into a corner for all the reasons you just explained. They're going to start cutting rates. They might do it really aggressively, really soon, sooner than the market thinks. I'd be buying bonds. Um, but it sounds like it's it's the the duration uh, question is more complicated for you. So directionally, just what do you see happening on that on the long, intermediate, or short side? So if uh, if they're cutting, if they end up cutting rates and cutting rates while the inflation is still pretty robust, so that means they're giving up on the inflation front, which is kind of scary because they would. Uh, either uh, they will be targeting a higher inflation rate, not just 2% inflation that they have been telling us for a while. So that's that's not a good thing because we, uh, we have a uh, long-term uh, sort of inflation sort of getting uh, uh, higher inflation, more permanent. So, uh, so that's one possibility. Or if the Fed's cutting in the middle of, of a uh, while core inflation is closer to 4%, uh, then we talking about stagflation. And yeah, we have some questions the, about that. What's your probability of, of stagflation? Not good. So I, I think in the belly of the curve, I do, if I feel like, if I think of buying in the belly of the curve, I would probably buy inflation indexed bonds where I uh, get some benefit from recession because the real rates then declines. But at the same time, I get quite a bit of carry from the uh, just the higher inflation that gets baked in to the uh, to the yield curve. Do you, we have a question um, which is interesting? Why wouldn't so we keep saying will the Fed cut? Will they hike? Will they go beyond May? Uh, someone asking why wouldn't the Fed just pause and wait to see what happens with inflation? Do they have the wiggle room to do that? From everything you talked about, it sounds like they've got to start. Easy. It sounds is, like they have a they're they're kind they are kind of boxed in as Luke lays out. They definitely are uh, boxed in. Uh, the market is telling us that they will ease eight eases in the next uh, the, the rest of this year and 2024. If I just follow the market, just watch what's in, implied by the market. That's eight 25 basis point eases. And right now, if you look at the Fed speak. And if I look at the data, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like Fed wants to do that. 
that would be uh, completely opposite of what they are saying. So uh, they would like to, if they can, not do anything for the next six months and uh, wait and watch what happens. Uh, so the problem with that scenario, that will be the Fed's ideal scenario, actually. So, so you're, uh, uh, the, uh, thanks for that question, because, uh, but that will they be able to pull off that ideal scenario? Because if the inflation, the, the, uh, the, uh, the biggest problem with inflation is that it gets ingrained into people's mind and the longer it stays at this higher level, then it becomes more permanent. And that's something that Fed absolutely doesn't want. So we could have a 1970s type scenario where they hike and then they ease a little bit and then they have to hike a lot later on. So that's the that's the fear Fed will have is sit and wait in that's the ideal scenarios. Not everything's fine, economy slows down, soft landing. Uh, but what if they have to start hiking three months down the line even more? Mm. That's that's the risk. Do you do you have a view of what's going to happen to the economy? I myself think that uh, we'll have a hard landing, uh, and it's uh, especially now that we have the banks uh, join uh, in tightening credit. It's not just the Fed. Uh, and so the combined effort uh, of the two uh, big players of the uh, economy will drive it to a hard landing. I, I, that's what I think. So where, what do you think happens to the 10-year? Because we have these two forces, right? We've got this concern that the Fed's going to have to ease, but you're talking about you know, banks having to sell slowly sell some of the stuff on their balance sheets of all kinds of different. What do you think happens to the 10-year? I think that we there's uh, a, uh, a the, the scenario that's most likely in my mind is that uh, that we will see a uh, a, a scenario uh, where the uh, what we call R star or equilibrium interest rate would be permanently higher in the ten-year sector. So and if we stop hiking, which it feels like uh, even either either now or after the next meeting, then we kind of uh, kind of accepted at a higher inflation level. And both of them, that suggests that we would have long rate uh, higher from this scenario in the 10-year. So 10-year, uh, uh, the, the level of inversion that we are seeing right now uh, would not, uh, would start to correct itself. We could get a five plus percent 10-year rate. Uh, a bit, a bit, let's say four and a half ish percent tenure rate, we can uh, easily get there. So that's what I think we will have. So that's kind of a weak economy, higher inflation, and higher tenure rate. And it sounds like when you say weak economy, is it weaker for longer? Because if those rates are kind of permanently higher on the tenure, there's an awful lot of people who are going to reset on any kind of loans they have and have to deal with that. I mean, I'm already, you know, anecdotally, we already know people who have to, you know, if their lease is up on their car, it's $200 more a month than it was just when they, you know, first took it out a couple of years ago. Is that, is that just going to be a weight on the economy? I think it's going to be weaker for longer. Uh, one, one of the reasons that uh, the labor market has been so tight and tighter than anyone's expectation 
was uh, clearly there was some additional job openings, but there was also a large number of people left the labor market and just decided not to look for job uh, during the pandemic. And that's like close to 4 million people and they, they're not coming back. And so there was this imbalance between uh, between both uh, the, the, the demand and supply for the labor and that imbalance kept the shortage of workers that uh, and then that imbalance pushed wages to stay robust. So it, uh, but Fed's just looking at in, uh, inflation, Fed's, Fed just looking at the relationship between wage inflation and uh, goods inflation. And so Fed has no choice but to uh, drive the economy slower. So I think it's going to be, we'll be here for a while. I also think that, I also think that the, uh, the, uh, this, uh, the quantity, uh, the, this, uh, the slowdown, the quantitative uh, tightening will also uh, have uh, an effect on the keeping a permanent slowdown. See, we were so used to a zero interest rate world. We really don't know what uh, what's a viable business and what's a business that's just surviving because of yeah. zero interest rate. That's so exactly as we right. are now at the 5%, then we'll test who survives and who doesn't. That's right. It will be a, a, a much larger type of stress test for all of us. I, we're out of time, but I just want to squeeze in this one question from Avery. It's really good because it speaks to having you clarify something you just said before. Does the interest rate risk to a loan portfolio come from having to pay higher rates to maintain deposits that the loan portfolio is paying? I Ultimately, that's how it's going to be, going to be, uh, uh, going to be happening because that's... Uh, Suppose uh, you, uh, if, whether it's a more, if it's take a mortgage loan, for example, uh, the banks are probably receiving two and a half, three percent on the mortgage loans. So as deposits deplete, at some point they'll have to pay for uh, those loans by paying interest that's five percent or even higher than that, and then uh, fund those mortgages where they're receiving only two to three percent. Right. So uh, and when we get there, uh, it will be very difficult. And that's yeah. exactly yeah. how it's going to. And besides the, all the other issues that I discussed, like stress tests, et cetera. That's a fantastic, That's a fantastic. point. Oh, get, we're getting a little bit of feedback. Sorry for that. Fantastic point. Remember, in the U.S., a lot of those are 30-year mortgages fixed. So, um, Mustafa, fantastic to have you on. This is the, the, the rate area is such an important part of what we're going through now and something that we really need to understand. So thanks for diving into a little more detail with us. We appreciate it.